So uh, it should come as no shock. I told you. We have the candle of hope, which I've already lit for us. That was nice of me. Uh, and then we have the candle of peace that we talked about last week. And today we have our third candle, which is the candle of joy. So uh, if you remember last week and the first week, we also talked about this, how each of these candles has really kind of two different meanings, right? And we talked about last week was peace and it was what? Anyone remember? Um, yeah, that's right. Down. Say it. I got it. Hold on. You said Hold on. Hold on. Grace has okay. it written down. Don't, don't put it under You should all have it written down. But come on. Wait, get there. Get there faster. She writes a lot. Okay. Okay. It was peace and it was... Bethlehem. 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 Okay. So it was peace and it was Bethlehem. And we talked about how both of these symbolized kind of the same thing, that that Bethlehem was really a symbol of peace. And that's why they kind of work together. And so today, uh, the candle has the obvious meaning of joy that we're going to really dig into. But it also has a second meaning. And so so the last one was Bethlehem. This one is shepherds. And that may sound kind of weird, but we're going to dig into really why this candle is called the candle of shepherds. And, and, and what that really means for us, and, and just a spoiler alert, it's a lot like what um, the, the message of Bethlehem was last week. But so what I want you guys to start with tonight, and, and I'm going to give you like 10 seconds to do this, but, but I want you to do it just quietly. I want you to think to yourself, but I want you to think about what you're joyful for. And this is gonna, we're going we're gonna to kind of think about this again at the end, but I just want to just like pause for like 10 seconds of silence and think about what we're joyful for. Okay, so I'm hoping that in that time you were able to come up with at least one thing in your life that you're joyful for. And I want you to remember it because we're going to come back to this kind of towards the end. So, so remember your thing or things that you are joyful for. <clears throat> so I told you guys last week when we were looking that, that God chose Bethlehem as the birthplace for his son Jesus for a specific reason. Right, and, and, and he chose Bethlehem because it showed God's love for what the world deems to be insignificant. Right, like Bethlehem was a small town; it really didn't mean much. But God chose it to be basically the most relevant town at that time. That His Son, God's Son, would come and be born in this town, and it really demonstrates how God loves even what the world may deem as insignificant or what we may feel is insignificant. God still loves it. And I also said that that was the first of many examples along this line, that God loves what, what the world may deem as insignificant. So we're going to look at the text today uh, in Luke 2. If you, got, if you don't know, the, the most commonly used chapter of the Bible for the Christmas story is Luke 2. So we're going to be in Luke 2 tonight. We're going to be in verses 8 through 12 uh, to start with. And I'm going to read it to you guys real quick. It says, then, how, how is it that each of us hears... Oh, sorry, that's Acts 2. Ha, not Luke 2. Nope, I got it. Uh, so, starting in verse 8. And there were shepherds living in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Today in the town of David, a savior, a savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and laying in a manger. Luke 2. So 
So I think it's very interesting when we look at this. And, and you guys have probably all at some time in your life heard that passage of Scripture. Right? Like that, that's a very common passage of Scripture that you'll hear around this time of the year. But I think it's interesting. Let's look at who was it that the angel brought this message to? Shepherds, right? Like, okay. So, and again, we look at this idea of shepherds being the person that, that the angel brought this message to. And this was no accident. Okay? So, what did we know about shepherds in that day? So, we know a couple things. One, it was not an honorable position. Like, back when David, it said, you know, in the city of David, if you don't know who David is, he was a very... Uh, he was a very famous, I guess famous, king of the Old Testament. A man after God's own heart, King David. You know David and Goliath, that guy. Okay, So he was a shepherd. And so when David was king, being a shepherd was kind of like a, a prominent position. Because if David, this great king, was good enough to be a shepherd, then being a shepherd must be important. But we're many, many years removed from David being king. And this by this time... This idea of being a shepherd has kind of been moved down on the pole from being like this prominent position to basically being the, the lowest of the low job that you could have. So looking at a couple things about shepherds. One, it was not honorable. Two, they were considered ritualistically unclean. And, and this may not mean a lot to you now, but really what it means is basically they couldn't come into the temple and they couldn't praise, they couldn't worship God through sacrifice because they were deemed unclean. Okay, so basically being like their job was so bad that people wouldn't let them come to church. Okay, like I think about that. That's kind of that's kind of weird for us to think about, but that's how bad they were looked at. Then they were also uh, not accepted in their community. And they weren't allowed to testify in the court of law. If they came into the, if, if they saw someone get murdered and they walked into a judge and was like, hey, that, that guy did it. He's guilty. The judge would go, I'm sorry. I don't trust you because you're a shepherd. That's how devalued it was to be a shepherd. They are basically the lowest low they could be outside of being a beggar. So the religious leaders of the day, like the, the, what we would consider the, the preachers, the priests. So these were the religious teachers, religious leaders of the day. It did not make sense to them or, or it, it, it would just be almost stupid for God to the first person he told about his son's birth to be a shepherd because no one would believe them, right? That they were not a reliable source. They weren't, they weren't someone that would be told information, right? So it makes no sense that God would send an angel to tell shepherds about his son's birth. That makes no sense. But see, this, <laughs> this is the theme of who God is. And this is the theme of what the Christmas story is. Christ didn't come just for the religious leaders and the religious teachers of the day. He came for the lowest of the low, the least of these, right? We hear this over and over again, that Jesus is not just something for like the, the rich and the well-to-do or the preachers. Jesus is for everybody, right? He's for the least of these. That's who Jesus is. And this, this idea of being someone who served the lowest of the low and, and was loved the, the people that everyone loved to hate was, was a theme that Jesus continued throughout his ministry. And, and I think that it's crazy because 
I think youth culture today, I say youth culture, so we're talking like middle schoolers, high schoolers, right? Like I think this demographic of people really have a two crisis on their hand. They have more than two crises, but two main crises. They have an identity crisis and they have a value crisis. And, and so I'm not going to dig too much into this idea of an identity crisis right now because when we start in January, uh, we're going to start a new series called Identity. And we're really going to look at what it means to have an identity in Christ. But, but I really want to look at this idea of having value, right? Because I think a lot of times, even teenagers don't feel like they have a lot of value in themselves. And, and, and it's not entirely teens' faults, right? Our world doesn't tend to give teenagers a lot of value, right? We don't, we don't listen to you guys a lot of times. We don't you know, want to think that you can do a whole lot a lot of times. But realistically, you guys have a lot of value. And, 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 and I hope that, that you guys understand the value that your lives have. And, and I think that oftentimes we miss value in three places. We miss it in our lives. We, we lose value in our virtue and we lose value in our spirituality. And, and so I think that it's really important for us to understand that God values us, right? Like that's what we're talking about here with the shepherds is like, I, I almost want to say that teenagers are like today's shepherds, right? Like there are people that, that like teens are sometimes looked down upon or for, for different things. But I want you guys to know that you have value and that God loves you through that, right? Like if, if God would send an angel, the first person that he tells about his son's birth would be shepherds. That's equivalent to the idea that if something big happened that God wanted to tell mankind about, that he would come to teenagers first. Guys, that's a huge responsibility, Right? Like that God would want to use you guys to, to do his work and to share his message. And, and I think that we have to be able and willing to acknowledge that we have a great value in the eyes of God. We see time and time again that God doesn't value things the way the world does. So when we look at like, oh, the world says this about someone or the world says this about these people, that God views those people differently, right? Like that, that God doesn't always view things the way that the world does. <clears throat> the, the fact that we matter to God is all that really matters in our lives. And that's hard for us to understand a lot of times. Like it's hard for us to comprehend that this fact that God loves us and God wants to use us is the most important thing because the world tells us there's so many other things that are more important. But realistically, that's the only thing that matters in our lives. If the Christmas story isn't a wake up call to the value that you have in God, I don't know what will be. And so as we're digging through this and looking through this, I really hope that you guys grasp this idea of the value that you guys have in the eyes of God. And, and I want you to know that, that as someone who's a, a spiritual leader uh, in your lives, that I see that same value that God sees in you guys. And, and, I, and I trust you guys and, I would, and I'm willing to use you guys to, to help this youth ministry grow. Right. Like it's not something that's it is my responsibility, but it's not my job to actually like make this youth ministry grow. It's it's my job to empower you guys to allow this youth ministry to grow. Right. Like if I go into like high schools and I'm trying to relate to teenagers, that could be kind of creepy. Right. Like, like who's the creepy guy in here, like trying to become friends with the teenagers? No, my job is to empower you guys to do God's work. Right? Like that's my job is to help you guys to understand your value and your identity in Christ to do his work. <clears throat> so additionally, 
This, this idea of shepherds and joy and all this is more than just a reminder that God cares for everyone. It's also a reminder that God will use any and every one of us to share his good news. God doesn't just call the wealthy or the well-spoken or even the most spiritual churchy people to do his work. I want to look at uh, 1 Corinthians 1, 26 through 27. The, the Paul that they were talking about always being in jail, he was the one who wrote this in a letter. And he says this in, in uh, 1 Corinthians 1, 26. He says, brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were influential. Not many of you were noble birth, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things in the world to shame the strong. Now on the surface, this looks like an insult, right? Like, hey guys, when God chose you, you were stupid. Like that's really what he's saying here. But really what he's trying to say is like, hey, let's look at this realistically. When God chose to use you, you weren't the smartest person. When God chose to use you, you weren't the strongest person. When God chose to use you, you weren't the best person. But God allowed himself to work through you so that you could be those things. Right? Because God gives us the ability to understand his word. God gives us the ability to do his work in, in this idea of strength. And God gives us the ability to love him and serve him and do the things he calls us to do. So often I hear people ask, why me? When, when God calls them to do something or, or when they think about like, well, I know I should invite this friend to church, but maybe someone else will do it. They're like, why me? Why do I have to do it? And so often we have a hard time understanding God's plan. Like I, I get that. And, and I have a feeling that at this moment that the angel appeared to the shepherds, they kind of had this same kind of moment where they didn't understand God's plan. Like this great thing had happened. Right, an angel appeared to the shepherds and they were probably sitting there going, no one is going to believe us that this great thing happened because our reputation is that we are not a reliable source. Like, wouldn't that be very, that, that would be a hard thing to, to, to think of, right? Like that an angel came and spoke God's word to me, but no one's going to believe me. Like, I, I imagine that's what the shepherds had to feel at that moment. And that they were probably sitting there asking themselves, why me? Why didn't God send this message to someone of influence or someone who could spread his good news better that people would believe? Despite all these things going against them, all these things and reasons that the shepherds would have to not go share his words, what do the shepherds do? Let's look back in Luke 2, uh, verses 15 through 18, and we'll see what the shepherds do here. <clears throat> it says, when the angel had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that had happened, which the Lord told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was laying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told to them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. Okay. So the first thing they did was they're like, okay, this angel just said something to us. Let's all make sure we weren't like dreaming and let's go see this for ourselves. So they went and they found Mary and Joseph and they saw what the angel had told them that, that this baby had been born in a manger. And then they said, wow, this is amazing. This is truly God speaking through us. And so they went out and they told the whole city. It says when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what he, what had been told to them about this child. And, and when people heard, they were amazed at what the shepherds had said to them. 
Guys, when the shepherds understood what had happened, they didn't allow their reputation. They didn't allow what people thought of them to stand in their way. They went and they told people about God's message. So, so what does this really have to do with us? What does that have to do with joy? Guys, the shepherds went and they rejoiced. If you see in there, it says they, they rejoiced what had happened. They, they, the, the world was filled with joy at this birth. And that's what we should be focusing on this Christmas season is joy. Now, now, obviously, we can see there that we have this responsibility from God to share his word, right? And that, that God can use us even if we don't think very highly of ourselves or we don't think the world thinks very highly of us. God wants to use us to share his word. But ultimately, the true underlying thing here is that during this season of Christmas, when we're focusing on the idea that God came in the form of a baby human, right? Like the weakest thing on the planet. I know, I know none of you guys like have kids. Some of you may have like baby brothers and sisters, but I've had two kids and like when newborn babies, they are like the most fragile things. Like as I'm just going to be honest for about the first six months I had both of my kids. I did not want to hold them because I'm a big guy and I tend to like just break things on accident. And I was like afraid I was going to break this baby, right? They are the most fragile things. But for God to come in the most like insignificant, tiny little fragile package that humanity has to offer is something that should fill our hearts and fill our minds with this idea of joy. This joy that, that we talked about in the video, this joy that, that should just exude from us, right? Like that's why we sing songs like joy to the world. Like, okay, I'm not a singer. Don't hold that against me. But like... Why we sing these songs and why Christmas is like this magical time where people are happy is because it's supposed to be a season and a time where we're reflecting and filled with this idea of joy. This whole story is a reminder that the message of Christmas is one of joy and rejoicing. <clears throat> For the shepherds, it was rejoicing that the Messiah had finally come. For us, it's rejoicing that the Messiah did come, what he did, right? They talked about him dying on the cross and that we, that we can rejoice through that and we can rejoice through any pain and suffering that comes as, as, an, as our commitment to that. <clears throat> but we have this ability to rejoice that Jesus did come and that ultimately he will come again. That's what we talked about with the candle of hope. So I want to ask you guys something. Let's, let's track back and remember back when we first started, right? I ask you guys to think about what you were joyful for, what, what, what you had joy in, in your lives. I want you to think about the joy that you have for that item, whether it's family, whether it's your video games, whether it's whatever, I don't care. Whatever you are joyful for, I want you to think about the idea of being joyful for that in the context of praising God. Right? Like it might feel weird if your thing's like, oh, I'm going to praise God because I have a really cool car. Like I'm joyful for my car. But, but like ultimately, like something had to happen for you to get that car. Like God provided for something in some way for you. So think about whatever it was that you had to be joyful about in the context of how it relates to God. Because everything, God wants everything we are joyful about to be through this lens of being joyful to God. And he wants us to be joyful because of what he provides for us. So, so what I want you guys to do over, over the next few weeks, 
um, as we, as we kind of lead into Christmas, what Christmas is two weeks from today. Sounds crazy, but it's true. Um, I want you guys over the next couple weeks, as you're kind of thinking through, I know you got finals and stuff with school, but like as, as that kind of wraps up and you kind of have some time to sit around, I want you to think about the things in your life you have to be joyful for. And I want you to take some time to pray and thank God, praise God and thank God for these things that you have to be joyful for this season. I'm going to pray for you guys and then we can hang out for a few minutes before we, we got to head out of here. God, thank you so much uh, for tonight. Thank you so much for the joy that we have in this season. And we know that this is joy because of who you are and what you've done and, and that you sent your son Jesus uh, to earth to live a life that, that we can model our lives after. And we thank you so much for, for the, the message that you sent to the shepherds and the, the sign that, that you use even what the world deems insignificant, that you use that to fulfill your plan and to share your word, God. And I pray that you would just help us to understand the value that we have in you and that, we, that you want to use us for your will, for your purpose, God. I thank you so much for, for your calling and your commissioning on each and every one of these students' lives. And I pray that you would help them to realize that and that they would step up and have boldness to proclaim your name in their schools, in their communities, in their friend groups, God. I thank you so much for each of these students that are here, and I pray that you would help them to understand and realize the joy that is in this season. You would help them to rejoice you throughout this season, God. God, thank you so much for all that you do for us, all the things you provide for us, and all that you give us, God. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.